electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. You're listening to The Exchange. Here's today's show. Thank you, Scott, and welcome to The Exchange. I'm Kelly Evans. 24 hours ago, it looked like Sam Altman was going to Microsoft after his shocking ouster at OpenAI. Now, maybe not. We have the latest and why a mass migration of OpenAI workers to Microsoft could actually become a legal headache for the tech giant. Plus, is the recent market rally running on fumes or not? Our market guest sees some strong technical signals that the rally is here to stay. He'll tell us what they are, how much upside he sees ahead, and how you can take advantage of it. And should corporate pensions make a comeback? Our guest says yes. He says it's good for workers. It's even good for corporate budgets. He'll join us a little later on to make his case. Before all that, though, let's hit the markets with Dom Chu. And we're seeing more of a sell-off pattern again today, Dom. It is, but we're near session highs right now. If that's anything that some of the bulls want to hang their hat on. The S&P 500 is at 45.39, down about seven points right now. At the highs of the session, we were down six points. So, again, tilting towards the highs, down 22 at the low. So that gives you an idea of the range. It's been down, but we're tilting a little bit higher on the end of the range today. The Dow Industrial is off about one-tenth, two-tenths of 1%, 58 points, 35,092. The Nasdaq Composite down about two-thirds of 1%, 14,197, the last trade there. One other place to watch is what's happening with crude oil prices. We're seeing a bit of a very near-term rebound, although in a medium-term, more downtrend. WTI crude prices off one-half of 1% right now, $77.49. The orange line that you're seeing on your screen is that 200-day moving average or longer-term trend line on a rolling basis. We're still below that level right now. But remember, we were bound by about 95 bucks on the higher end of the medium-term range, down towards the 72 level on the low. So again, towards the lower end of this longer-term, medium-term trading range that we've seen for WTI crude. So we'll see if that sticks around. And then the retail focus is still very much for earnings season right now. We have a couple of names that are sharply to the downside here. Lowe's off the session, Lowe's off 3%. Best Buy, Consumer Products, down about one-half of 1%. Both these companies, mixed reports, profits better than expected, revenues come in a little bit worse. Both of them lowered aspects of their outlook which is why they're down. Meanwhile, Dick's Sporting Goods up 3.5%. This is a company that beat on the top line, beat on the bottom line, and raised its forecast. They see some of those better trends from back-to-school season carrying through into holiday shopping. So, Kelly... Very mixed picture. Stop me if you heard this before. For retail and the American consumer, I'll send things back over. A lot of big movers, winners and losers. Uh, That's the theme. Dom, thank you very much. Microsoft CEO Satya Nadella was live on CNBC last night to address the open AI drama. He said the company's governance needs to change no matter where Sam Altman ends up. I think it's very, very clear that something has to change around the governance or, and if that's sort of, you know, and we'll have a good dialogue with their board on that and, uh, and we'll, you know, walk through that as time evolves. But the most important thing for me, for customers to know is today we have all the capability. Well, as companies like Microsoft and Salesforce try to hire OpenAI's workers en masse, will they also run into legal problems as a result? Let's ask Steve Sloan. He's a partner at Menlo Ventures. He joins us this afternoon along with CNBC's very own Steve Kovac. 
And Steve Kovac, let me start with you with the latest updates and kind of <laughs> big picture thoughts and implications and drama yeah. here for Microsoft. So, so the latest updates, here's the situation we're in now. As of last night slash this morning, Sam Altman is kind of this monkey in the middle in between OpenAI and Microsoft. Where is he going to end up? Is he going to be running the subsidiary at Microsoft and bring over all these OpenAI employees who are threatening to leave? Or does he come back into the fold at um, OpenAI and run that company and things are kind of back to the way they were Thursday? Unclear right now. Bloomberg just put out a report, by the way, Kelly, saying that Emmett Shear, that's the interim CEO that was named, uh, what was it, late Sunday night? I'm losing track of the timeline already. Late Sunday night uh, is now telling people he needs to see evidence of why uh, Sam Altman was fired in order to uh, stay interim CEO. At the same time, when he first was hired, he posted on X saying, I know why and nothing's, you know, everything's right. okay. So it's just a giant, giant mess. What it really comes down to, I spent this morning talking to board governance experts. That's, that, that's, that's the point in the reporting we're at now is sure. it's, it's all about the board governance, what this funky structure of a nonprofit organization uh, uh, means for a profit organization. I was talking to uh, one professor who studies this stuff earlier, and he's just telling me it's really going to come down to what the board thinks Sam Altman did that led to his firing. Whatever that is, then we can figure out how to move forward from there. Uh, but this is all being worked out in real time, being reported out in real time. It could change. Who knows who the CEO is going to be at OpenAI tomorrow, let alone tonight. So it's Steve anyone's Sloan, guest. Let me bring in uh, our Menlo Ventures partner here. So what, what, what do you look, I'm saying, what do you think is going to happen here? Oh, man, uh, you guys are so right. Things seem to be changing by the minute. Um, you know, if I if I had to call it, uh, I think Sam will be back at at OpenAI, you know, likely by tomorrow night. Uh, I think all the signals are pointing that way. You know, when you see the statements that Microsoft has put out, you know, when you see what Emmett's saying, when you now hear that he's in active dialogue with the board, I think he's coming back. Mm, Kovac, Steve, he thinks he's coming back. Yeah. See, I have a question for you, Steve, because uh, I know Menlo is an investor in Anthropic, a rival, uh, also founded by some um, open AI uh, defectors, let's call it. Have you heard anything? There's a report that came out last night saying there was an idea that the open AI board went to Anthropic saying, hey, let's bring you guys in and let's merge these two companies together. Do you know anything about that? Uh, I have seen that report uh, as well. Uh, I do not know any specifics on that. You know, we're very excited about Anthropic as a standalone company. And, you know, I think part of what we've seen here is just the importance of trust and safety. And, you know, really the core founding principles behind Anthropic is a model that hallucinates less, having humans in the loop. And so I think they'll be a key player in the ecosystem going forward, you know, especially just based on, you know, how they're set up and what's really important to them. What does it tell you, though, that the board, even if this, you know, might have even approached Anthropic about this, what does it tell you about what Anthropic's approach to this versus what OpenAI is doing? Yeah, I think it, it it tells a lot about just how spot on the anthropic approach is. And, you know, it also tells you a lot about just how much chaos is is going on in this situation. I mean, obviously, I think the board was really looking to make this right in some respects and, you know, going to a, a recognized leader in the space like anthropic. And, you know, if this was true, exploring what might be possible um, was something that, you know, made sense for them to do. 
Steve Sloan, why do you think the most likely outcome here would be that Sam Altman ends up back at OpenAI? I just think it's very difficult to imagine OpenAI or even executing like OpenAI within Microsoft. And, and you guys alluded to this, right, with, you know, hey, is this going to be a legal hassle? It's much better for Microsoft to be partners with OpenAI and allow OpenAI to execute at the pace that they execute kind of outside of the Microsoft umbrella. Once you bring that sort of research and that sort of pace into a multi-trillion dollar company like Microsoft, you're just not going to have the same level of execution. So I think, candidly, Microsoft probably wants Sam back at OpenAI. All the employees want Sam back at OpenAI. And you know, frankly, most of Silicon Valley, you know, is in Sam's camp and, and seems to want him back as well. So I, I just think there's a lot of forces that are pushing that way right now. And it, it's just the most sensible outcome. One more to kind of push this and, and hopefully to that point, that's what's happening behind the scenes right now is people trying to figure that out. But shouldn't there be, uh, Steve Sloan, some governance changes to the board so that maybe OpenAI is two companies or maybe it becomes kind of a classic for profit with shareholder fiduciaries and things? Things like that, as opposed to the structure now, um, do, I, I wonder if that's part of, of the negotiation here. Absolutely, and you know, you've you've seen that uh, there's kind of mediators. You know, I've heard Brett Taylor's name thrown around. I totally agree, and you know, this is what Microsoft had to say as well. Um, there has to be some changes. You know, clearly there was misalignment here. Candidly, we haven't even heard from the board, so you know, per Emmett's point, like we don't even know really what happened here. But um, ultimately, there was a lot of misalignment. There was, I think, some unnecessary complexity in the structure. And in order for, you know, Sam to come back and for OpenAI to go forward, there does absolutely have to be some changes here. Kovac? I think we should talk about the other side of this. You know, let's operate for a minute and do a thought experiment. If Altman doesn't return and he does become an employee at Microsoft as CEO of this group, brings over a couple hundred or all of these 700 people. What does that mean? Uh, we're seeing now uh, Kevin Scott today, the CTO of uh, Microsoft, basically putting out an open call on X saying, hey, if you're an OpenAI employee, don't worry, you're fine. Here's the tweet right there. We'll give you full compensation. I've never seen anything like this, to openly way, poach like this. And does that create antitrust scrutiny in some way, even though it's not really buying the company, but also putting out this open call? Well, we also saw Salesforce yesterday yeah, saying, that too. you know, so I, I think there's probably, you know, maybe in a traditional sense, yes, that, <laughs> there, would, there would be problems with this. But if the entire company's up for grabs now, it's a little bit different. Yeah, it's, it's the free market thing. But I also just keep going back to how aggressive this current FTC and DOJ have been about these issues. And even though it's not traditional acquiring a company, if it does become this way that the majority of the company becomes by default absorbed into Microsoft, you can better believe there will be some kind of uh, poking around or investigations. I wouldn't be surprised to see something like that. Quick last word, Steve Sloan. Do you think any permanent value damage has happened? If we assume they can put OpenAI back together, put Humpty Dumpty back on the wall, um, would it be would its value be diminished by all of this, you think, or would it just blow over and kind of go back to business as usual? Uh, I think they they will certainly have taken at least a temporary hit here. Um, you know, talking to our companies, talking to other people in the ecosystem, everyone is very concerned. You know, if you have core workloads on OpenAI, 
you're kind of starting to reach out. You're kind of starting to think about, you know, hey, are there other alternatives like Anthropic where I can at the very least have a backup plan? So it's unclear, you know, six, 12 months from now, if things were to stabilize, whether that would be the case. But, you know, I think at least in the short to medium term, it's gotten a lot of companies thinking about, you know, hey, what are the other alternatives? Mm-hmm. And can I at least protect protect myself if this chaos continues. Absolutely. Thank you both. Really appreciate it. Bringing us up to speed this hour to see where it goes from here. Steve Sloan and our own Steve Kovac. We're also just two weeks away from CNBC's work summit, The Promise and Peril of AI. Timely. We'll hear from leaders and experts on how AI will transform the future of work. You can scan that QR code to register or visit CNBCEvents.com. Now to markets, which are turning lower today with the NASDAQ leading the decline. They're still on pace for their best month since January, the NASDAQ is, while the Dow and S&P are tracking for their biggest monthly gains since last October. And my next guest says the technicals point to continued strength from here. Jeff Krempelman joins me now. He's chief investment strategist at Mariner Wealth Advisors. Jeff, it's good to see you. And a lot has been made of the breadth of the recent rally. What, what does it say to you? Just give us the facts. Well, you know, I think that we've got a lot to be thankful for going into to Thanksgiving and this holiday. And, you know, going back into October, the opposite mood was developing as we had all these geopolitical events that were going on. People were worried about not being able to name a Speaker of the House. And folks were really getting nervous about uh, rising 10-year yields as, as we were. And a lot of the purely economic factors, I think, have moved in a good direction. Uh, yields have backed off significantly, which is a really big deal. That's the biggest risk that we were concerned about, rising yields. And the, as a result, um, the technicals, as buying has come into the market, you've seen the number, the percentage of stocks trading above the 10-day moving average or above the 50-day moving average, moved from about 10% to 70%. And uh, somewhere around 20% on 200-day moving average, we're trading above the 200-day moving average, now about 50% plus, And we've just had a really nice rally. Uh, it's broadened. You've gotten uh, value outperforming growth, equal weight outperforming, the market cap weight, non-mega eight stocks really moving in a nice direction, small cap over large. And so is, is that... A real sign that, you know, we're out out of the woods? Probably not, but it's something that you need to see that um, could signal that. And uh, we certainly have maintained positive S&P 500 price levels going through mid next year. So so it's a good sign for us. Where in particular, you know, you often do a lot of stock specific kinds of things. Where do you think are the biggest valuation opportunities for the run that you uh, are anticipating? So, you know, we've felt um, you know, if you go back in, in that 2007 to kind of, you know, 2020, 21 period where we had zero interest rates, uh, being a portfolio manager in an active strategy, you're kind of a dinosaur or, or you begin to, to worry about that. So active management's come back and um, we think that there are opportunities both um, in the growth sphere and in the value sphere. So we have a barbell, if you will, in a way, in that we see attractive non-mega-8 valuation within technology and consumer discretionary in those growth names. We also find them in the uh, cyclicals as we have a capital spending boom going on. So we're doing a little bit of both, boring industrial 
cap equipment oriented, <laughs> some go-go growth and consumer, and some tech. So we, we like those areas. Boring industrial and go-go consumer is pretty much a synopsis of the economy right now. Are you worried about some of the retail uh, mines we seem to be hitting as we move through this earnings season? Well, again, I think where it goes back to active management, know what you own and be selective. So, you know, when you look uh, within consumer, it really is the experience area. So I would highlight before going to retail, you know, I would I would own things like uh, bookings and Royal Caribbean, as you know, we've talked about in the past. But within retail, I mean, there are stocks like Deckers, for example, a shoe company, Uggs and Hoka's, you know, it's cool to wear Hoka's. Um, and and you're just seeing really strong uptake. Um, so it depends upon the product, your merchandising capability, and, and where you're at. Um, so there are some areas to avoid, but there certainly doesn't mean the consumer's dead. Uh, you can do very well, whether in experience or in, I think, the goods category if you're positioned well. All right. We, uh, we'll leave it there for now. On that hopeful note, Jeff, thanks so much for your time today. We appreciate it. Sure. Jeff okay, Krempelman with Mariner Wealth. Coming up, higher rates are taking a toll on clean energy this year. Our next guest is in the eye of the storm, but his company shares have rallied nearly 40% over the past month, even as other solar and clean energy stocks have plunged. We'll look at why next. Speaking of higher rates, could corporate pensions be the answer to America's retirement crisis? Our guest says we may be seeing a pension renaissance as companies try to attract and retain workers. We'll see if he's right about that. The exchange is back after this. This is The Exchange on CNBC. From their innovative practice facility to unmatched views from the fairway, the PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with 5G solutions from T-Mobile for Business. Together, we're using AI-powered analytics to expand coaching tools and bringing fans closer to the pros with 5G-connected cameras. This is game-changing innovation. This is the PGA of America with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back. Shares of the renewable energy investor Hassi are up almost 40 percent month to date after they reported top and bottom line beats on November 2nd. And that's despite some of its biggest clients, solar firms, getting a beating this year amid rising rates and fears about the broader economy. Enphase, Sunrun, SunPower, First Solar, they're all down double digits in the past six months. Enphase by 40 percent. Despite seeing a big rebound last week when CPI came in cooler than expected, what does this say about the state of the industry and is solar investable right now? Let's ask my next guest, whose firm is all about investing in clean energy. Joining me for an exclusive interview is Jeffrey Lipson, the CEO of Hassi. Jeffrey, welcome. Thank you for having me on, Kelly. You think markets are overly punishing this uh, space or is it, is it deservedly so? I think it's overly punishing. I think the energy transition is a long-term megatrend, and these are short-term headwinds. And I think the 
Interest rates in particular are causing uh, significant challenges for the way these companies are viewed, but they are essentially able to pass on these higher energy, these higher interest rate costs through higher prices of the energy, and it remains competitive with the alternatives. So a new equilibrium will be found at these higher interest rates, and, and most of these companies will do quite well because of the long-term macro trend. Explain to me what it means that your company invests in renewable energy assets, but not you know, the underlying companies themselves. What is the purpose of that? What does that mean? So we're a climate positive investor at the project level. So we invest in contracted cash flows of underlying projects. So as examples on utility scale solar projects, we will partner with our sponsors like AES and Clearway and Engie to provide a slice of capital that fundamentally allows the project to be built and we achieve our return by the energy being sold to the off-taker on the project. Likewise, on the distributed side, uh, our clients like Sunrun and SunPower are installing rooftop solar and entering into leases with homeowners and we're providing financing for those underlying leases. So we're collateralized by contracted cash flows which gives us a lower risk and predictable business model. And that's why Morgan Stanley recently said that you guys shouldn't be lumped together with some of those other businesses, um, because and maybe you can explain this, but they were saying that, you know, in many cases, 90 to 90% of these costs are fixed upon the contract signing. Could that go poorly if the economy takes a turn for the worse, if rates continue to do what they're doing? Uh, could those contracted cash flows not materialize? That's highly unlikely. Our Off-takers are very incented. They're, they're, first of all, they're contracted, so they're obligated to pay. Second of all, they're incented to pay because in the projects that we invest, they're obtaining energy at a lower cost than they'd be able to obtain it otherwise. And so they're highly incented to continue to make the payment. You know, as an example, we're seeing very strong demand from data centers that are mm. being built as a result of all the data storage that's required for AI, and that's just increasing clean energy demand across the board. No, that seems like a massive source uh, of future demand. So let me then ask you, and, and it's interesting to think about how maybe you're one of the rare players that could benefit from lower solar prices. Obviously, a lot of the direct uh, supply chain is getting hit by that. But do you think lower solar price, ultimately good for the consumer, will increase adoption? It certainly will. Adoption is generally occurs when, when the price is lower. And all the levelized cost of energy studies will show that renewables are indeed the the lowest course uh, the lowest cost source of energy going forward, and that will increase adoption. It will increase the number of projects being constructed, which will increase the total addressable market for us and allow our business to continue to grow as well. All right, as shares down eighteen percent year to date, it's still a little bit of ways to climb, but again, uh, holding up better than a lot of the other more directly exposed names. Thank you so much, Jeffrey, for joining us today. Thank you, Kelly. Jeffrey Lipson with Hannon Armstrong. Schneider Electric is one of their clients, and their CEO will be on Mad Money with Jim Cramer tonight at 6 p.m. Eastern if you want to hear more about that. Higher rates are taking a toll on solar stocks, but they're also hitting the housing market pretty hard. Today's existing home sales showing the slowest pace of sales in over a decade. Let's bring in Diana Olick with the latest details. Diana? 
Well, Kelly, some good news is on the 30-year fix. We're actually down to 7.33% today as rates have been dropping for a few weeks now. That's the lowest since the end of September, but the damage was done in October. Sales of existing homes during the month dropped more than expected to a 13-year low. They fell 4% from September and were down almost 15% year over year. These are closed sales, which represent contracts signed in September, which is when rates really took off, going from right around 7% on the 30-year fix to over 8% in in October. Supply edged up 1.8% from September, still down 5.7% from October of last year to just 1.15 million units. At the current sales pace, that's a 3.6 month supply and a little more than half, half of what is considered a balanced market between buyer and seller. Tight supply is keeping pressure under prices. The median sale price in October, $391,800. That's up 3.4% year over year and an all-time high price for October. Realtors did note that multiple offers are still occurring, especially on starter and mid-price homes, while price concessions are rising on the higher end of the market. And Kelly, that's because there's way more for sale on the higher end. Oh, wow. That's true. Diana, thank you. Our Diana Olick. Still to come, Microsoft's meteoric rise. The shares are taking a breather today, but they're on track for a fifth straight week of gains still. The fallout from the OpenAI shakeup could have some big implications for the cloud business, though. We'll discuss that in today's Tech Check. Plus, the tax man cometh for your PayPal and Venmo accounts, or does he? Robert Frank joins us with some answers next here on The Exchange. From pit lane to podium, the Las Vegas Grand Prix is providing fans a race day experience at the speed they deserve. With the help of T-Mobile for Business, our 5G advanced network solutions are powering race day operations with event-wide connectivity. From streamlined gate entry to an immersive app, giving fans blazing fast access to the sport they love. This is accelerating innovation. This is the Las Vegas Grand Prix with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. Welcome back to The Exchange. I'm Kate Rooney. We do have some breaking news on a major crypto company, Binance. The CEO, Chang Peng Zhao, is pleading guilty to federal charges. He does plan to step down. We are getting some unsealed court documents in that criminal case against Binance. And they also released the plea agreement. It calls for the resignation of Zhao as CEO. It also prohibits him from any present or future involvement in operating or managing Binance. That is the world's largest crypto exchange. It also forbids him from talking about it. This is someone who has been very vocal on Twitter and social media. Binance faces three criminal charges, including conducting an unlicensed money transmitting business. They also talk about violating sanctions here. Starting as early as 2017, they talk about the defendant, uh, which is Binance, the company led by its owner, CZ, knowingly failing to register as a money services business and then willfully violating the Bank Secrecy Act by failing to implement KYC and money laundering programs. They say that caused the company to violate U.S. economic sanctions. They say it facilitated billions in crypto transactions without implementing any of that proper oversight, KYC. As it's known, under the Zhao plea agreement, the defendant says that he will not work with the company. He will not speak about it through any future attorneys, agents, or other people authorized to speak about it, make public statements either. He is in court, guys, in Seattle, Washington. We don't have details yet. We're awaiting what comes out of that. But again, he is pleading guilty to what I mentioned earlier, the biggest crypto exchange in the world. Moving forward, I'm told the heir apparent is someone called Richard Tang, who is the global head of markets there. They say they're 
looking for a CEO at this point. No news on that, Kelly, but latest on Binance there. Kate, thank you very much for bringing that to us. Our Kate Rooney, if you're curious about Bitcoin amid all this, down 1.5%. Meantime, a big news flash from the IRS today that may have a lot of Americans breathing a sigh of relief. Robert Frank has those details. Robert? Well, Kelly, millions of Americans actually giving thanks to the IRS this week because that's the agency will delay a rule on income received over PayPal, Venmo, and other payment services. So the so-called $600 rule required third-party payment platforms to send those 1099 forms to anyone with income of more than $600 a year. So if you had more than $600 in income from PayPal, Airbnb, or eBay, that would then be reported to the IRS and you could owe taxes. The IRS now saying it's going to delay that rule until 2024 tax year, and the threshold will go to $5,000 rather than $600. It's going to phase in that $600 rule over time. At least that's what they say. The IRS saying that confusion over the rule and its own efforts to implement it required the delay, but it's also come under fierce attack from taxpayers, accountants, and the payment platforms. Many lawmakers were saying the IRS was basically going to be able to go after teenagers who mow lawns or babysit or people who sell their couch on eBay. This doesn't change who actually owes taxes, though. All taxable income has to be reported to the IRS, but Kelly, more than 80 million people use payment apps and the gig economy has grown big outside the view of the IRS. The IRS said it doesn't have estimates on how much revenue it's going to lose by changing this, by delaying it. But this will be a lot of relief, Kelly, for people that at least it was supposed to apply to any income this year that you received over those payment apps over $600. So remind me, it's being delayed until when? And what does that mean for people who might have had income around that, you know, above that threshold? What, are they, what do you think they're going to do? So it will be delayed until 2024. So this year's income is fine. Next year's income, this will apply to. But the new threshold, instead of 600, will be $5,000. And they say eventually wow. they're going to phase in that 600. So basically any income next year that's over $5,000 on these payment apps, that is truly income, not reimbursements for dinner or paying your babysitter, that kind of thing, will be uh subject to these 1099 forms That's and will huge. be reported to the IRS. And yet all the people who are diligently tracking, you know, <laughs> they're like, all right, well, that was all for nothing. But Never mind. <laughs> but we applaud you for your diligence, nevertheless. And uh, this makes a lot of practical sense. Robert, thank you for that. Uh, we appreciate it. Our Robert Frank. Let's get to Tyler Matheson now for the CNBC News update. Tyler. This is going to dramatically change my relationship with my yoga teacher and how I pay her, by the way. <laughs> Anyhow, U.S. officials said the military has launched a retaliatory attack on militants in Iraq last night. A militants attacked an airbase west of Baghdad with missiles, leaving U.S personnel with minor injuries and damaging infrastructure there. Officials said the overnight self-defense strike targeted the people allegedly responsible for the airbase attack and killed several fighters. Pharmaceutical company Novo Nordisk is planning to ration Ozempic starter kits in Europe and will slow production of another diabetes drug. The company is working to meet Ozempic's increasing demand as people use the diabetes drug to lose weight even though it isn't officially approved to treat obesity per se. Ozempic shortages are expected throughout 2024. Walmart is opening what it calls mini post offices at stores around the country as it tries to ship out its products faster in a bid to compete with other online retailers like Amazon. The mega retailer announced today it would open 40 so-called parcel stations by the end of the year. 
with many up and running for the busy holiday season. Kelly, back to you. Sounds pretty good. Tyler, thank you very much. I'll see you soon. Coming up, the case for corporate pensions. Yes, corporate pensions. Higher interest rates may provide an opportunity for those plans to make a big comeback. We'll tell you why and how likely it is after the break. And now, Trend Tracker. Welcome back to The Exchange. Labor unrest hitting everyone from auto workers to actors, and now even bankers are pushing to unionize. The Wall Street Journal reporting workers at two Wells Fargo branches will hold elections to decide whether to organize, what's been a rarity for that industry. And this just days after the UAW settled with the big three automakers, that union had also asked to bring back corporate pensions. The request didn't ultimately make it into those agreements, but my next guest says he's seeing a pension renaissance and wouldn't be surprised to see it come back on the bargaining tables. Joining me now, Dan Doonan is executive director of the National Institute on Retirement Security. Dan, it's great to have you here. Welcome. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, it's really been interesting times in the retirement industry. I can't remember a time where we heard so much conversation about a pension renaissance. And I really think there's a few factors behind this. Um, first of all, I think we see that a lot of people aren't on track in individual savings in terms of 401ks being prepared for retirement. But I also think some of it is it's attracting and retaining strong workers and a strong workforce yeah. has been more challenging. So let, let me just back up for a second and, and apologize to all the corporate executives who are throwing things at the screen and screaming right now because <laughs> they're saying, wait a minute, we spent 20 years cleaning up our balance sheets from the, you know, how many times have we heard the line, you know, it's an air, it's, it's a pension company with an airline attached and it's a pension, you know. So now yes. even the ones who have these plans are offloading them to insurance companies. So what do you think if we were to bring the pension back and if it is good for workers and if it is, you know, maybe even cost effective for companies and if it is good for America, what would it look like in version 2.0 that might be different from what we experienced over the past several decades? Yeah, I think, you know, you wouldn't judge today's automobiles by looking at something that was built in 1950. So I think when you look at the pensions uh, and how pensions have evolved, and how we manage pensions, there's a lot of really material changes. Um, you know, you can look at examples, South Dakota and Wisconsin both have statewide retirement systems that have had very level costs over time. So you can look and see how did they do that. IBM, a large global technology firm, went back to offering a defined benefit pension, and they are doing it more or less a cash balance um, and from what I've read, it looks like risk was certainly considered in how they designed the plan. Mm -hmm. But again, they're pooling a lot of re risks, like longevity risks, and they're going to provide benefits in terms of life income, which is really user-friendly for the yeah. workers. The reason I, I 
wanted to talk to you about this so much is that it, it feels like there's two problems kind of cropping up at the same time. And the one problem is uh, we're potentially facing an entitlement crisis that has pushed bond yields up and has everybody unnerved about the deficit. And then the other problem, of course, is just quite simply, you know, the need for people to save for retirement and whether 401ks are, are working in that. So, again, if we were to say, OK, and annuities, I mean, you're aware, well aware of this. Now people are making moves to really offer annuities in retirement plans. So could we just have BlackRock, for instance, offer an annuity yeah. product and kind of give people the sense that they have that more certain income stream in retirement, um, and again, without going tr the traditional corporate route. Yeah, so I think I think these the different issues you mentioned with you know the graying of America. We're seeing more retirees relative to young people, and we keep moving in that direction. So having good retirement systems is really important, and it's important for our kids and grandkids that we go into retirement ready to be self-sufficient. Um, so pensions really do have a big economic efficiency advantage. Uh, what we found is it costs about twice as much to provide the same income stream in a defined contribution plan as you can do in a pension because of professional asset, professional asset management, asset allocation, and longevity risk pooling. So those factors, by pulling everybody together, you're able to have a more efficient system. And it's not really the 401k itself that's creating the inefficiencies. It's really four-fifths of the inefficiencies come post-retirement. When you leave your 401k and you need to figure out how to spend down, you have to be a little more conservative investing and in how, how long you expect to live. Um, and you mentioned also, you know, we're seeing the defined contribution industry more interested in offering life income in their products. And I really see this as both the, the pension and 401k worlds have been converging. So pensions Quick. have these great features where they're trying to solve for cost stability right. and defined contribution has cost stability and they're trying to solve to make them more user friendly. Quick final question, because the other reason why we're suddenly talking about this is high rates. I mean, we haven't had this opportunity in a long time. Suddenly corporate pension plans on average are overfunded. I think the last figure I saw was 103%. If rates stay high, this might be the only silver lining of that whole situation. But what happens yeah. if the 10 year or I guess the 30, you know, if they go back down to what we saw in the 2010s, then all of a sudden this math, to me, it seems like it wouldn't look so good. Yeah, it's unfortunate. Corporate pension funds are funded on more of a market rate. So their discount rate moves up and down and causes more volatility. Um, but what we see here is an opportunity to actually change your investment strategy and take risk out. So when rates do go high, this could present opportunities for pension plans to take risk off the table yeah. without paying a lot more. So, you know, all savers are impacted by, you know, bond yields. Um, pension plans are no different. All right, Dan, we will, this might be the wind in your sails. And I, I want people to tweet me, you know, bring me your hot takes. We're going to keep it going. Uh, it could be a really interesting turn of events here if people do start to bring back these offerings. Dan, thanks for joining us today. Thank you. Dan Doonan with the National Institute on Retirement Security. Still to come, it's been a bumpy ride for Microsoft shares since OpenAI's board shockingly ousted Sam Altman just before markets closed last Friday. Is Microsoft at risk of losing customers to AI rivals amid the turmoil? We will explore that next.
Welcome back. In what could be a blow to Microsoft, customers of OpenAI are reportedly considering switching to competitors like Anthropic or Google Cloud. Deirdre Bosa is here now with more for today's Tech Check. Deirdre, what are you hearing? Well, Kelly, it was interesting that Satya Nadella came on our air last night with very few answers, but what he did come to do was reassure Microsoft's many cloud customers because in the end, this all comes back to the cloud. Generative AI takes enormous amounts of compute power, and this has really turned out to be the edge in cloud computing among the hyperscalers, the big three, Amazon's AWS, Microsoft's Azure, and Google Cloud. Now, OpenAI has cited more than 90% of Fortune 500 companies use its services, which operate in the Microsoft Azure cloud system. So you can imagine that since Friday, Amazon and Google have been on the offensive, making the case that at the very least, secondary cloud providers should at least be considered, if you were a company, that is working on mission-critical AI applications or would like to in the future. And that itself could threaten Microsoft's core, the business that Nadella pioneered to reinvent Microsoft itself. Now, here's where the cloud computing landscape stands right now. Amazon's AWS, it is still, of course, the clear leader. Microsoft is number two, and it wants to get closer to AWS and widen that gap between itself and Google. There's still plenty of businesses plenty of processes that are still moving to the cloud. And as I said, generative AI has become this sort of edge and Microsoft getting the jump on that earlier this year, seen as a leader, they cannot lose that pole position, Kelly. How serious a risk is it right now? It's only been a couple of days. There's not a clear competitor. Or maybe there is to really quickly jump to. Uh, it's hard to say. I mean, what Nadella said last night is that they are going to continue to innovate and be leaders in generative AI, whether Sam Altman and Greg Brockman and others are within Microsoft or whether they continue to work with OpenAI. You could actually argue that more integration with Sam Altman and OpenAI could actually raise the reputational and execution risk for Microsoft, right? Because OpenAI has operated as a research lab. So some of the hallucinating aspects or ugly sides of ChatGPT, you can chalk that up and say, well, this is OpenAI, a research lab. If that right. is more firmly integrated with Microsoft, they take on some of that reputational risk. Yeah, that's true. Deirdre, for now, thank you. We'll see what happens next. Our Deirdre Bosa reporting for TechCheck. Still ahead with 22% short interest is Nordstrom poised for a squeeze. NVIDIA has only missed once on the bottom line in the past 20 quarters. And there are zero sell ratings on Deer, which is the only name in the green of these three today. We'll have the action, the story, and the trade and earnings exchange next. Welcome back. After some huge earnings movers today, what could the next 24 hours bring? Let's look ahead to Nordstrom, NVIDIA, and Deere in today's earnings exchange. Here with our trades is Jeff Kilberg, KKM Financial's founder and CEO and a CNBC contributor. Jeff, welcome. And uh, we'll, we'll tease NVIDIA a little bit. We'll start with Nordstrom because this one's kind of interesting. Sure. It's up 13% off its 52-week low from just last Monday. Still down 8% on the year. UBS has a harsh warning saying traffic and sales data look weak. Pricing isn't much better with promotions doubling at Nordstrom Rack from this time last year. The only saving grace, according to UBS, would be a sudden shift back towards dressy clothes and brick and mortar <laughs> shopping, which were both damaged by the pandemic. And it does have high short interest. Would you be a buyer here? 
Oh, my goodness. After that lead in, uh, the answer is no. I agree with UBS. It's in contrast because right last week we talked about Gap, which is not that higher end retailer. And we did see a 30 percent move in Gap. But here I don't want to own it, Kelly. If you look at a chart year to date, one year, three year, five year, go out 10 years. This has been this horrible chart to own. And if you think about what the opportunity is here, I don't think you see a flyer here. This is a two and a half billion dollar market cap, so a very high beta, but there's not an opportunity for a pop in my opinion, because one of the things that was cited in the last earnings report was theft. They talked about shoplifting. It's at historical highs. How do they control that being a brick and store brick and mortar store at the higher end? I don't know how they resolve that. So I think there's more pain in this chart to come. All right, not going near it. It's down to 3%. We'll see what the earnings tonight say. And we'll move on to the big kahuna after the bell, of course, NVIDIA. It did just hit an all-time high yesterday, even after that little period of weakness. It shook it off, went back over 500. We're about a percent below that right now. It's up 241% since January. B of A is bullish on their new AI chip technology, but thinks NVIDIA could do $4 to $5 billion of net losses due to restrictions in China. And they ask a similar question that you do, which is, where are we in the AI hype cycle, Jeff? It's a great question, and we've seen such a roller coaster this year, Q1, Q2. If you just said AI in your earnings uh, conference call, you saw the market move higher. But right now, uh, at $504 after yesterday's close, that was an all-time high. You're seeing the valuation of NVIDIA at $1.245 trillion. But it sounds so expensive, but at the end of the day, I can't initiate a long position. But if you own this up here like I do, it's very hard to sell. Because if you think from valuation, go back to March of 2022. It was trading at a Ford PE of 87 times. The stock price was only 250. So right now, yes, it sounds rich at 40 times forward earnings from a PE ratio perspective, but it's not. So there is more room to run. But I want to be more considerate on how I express a view going in this earnings season because of the volatility. We're expecting about a 7.5% move. That's what the options market is telling us. But what I think you can do to really profit if it goes up or down, because remember last quarter, we saw a 25% pop on this behemoth. I think you can own a straddle. That simply means owning a put and owning a call at the same strike price and at the same expiration. So if the market moves more than 7.5%, you will profit from this. So it's think about it from a sports betting perspective, Kelly. I'm betting on the over here. <laughs> okay. And I'm try I I think I follow you. I do. I'm going to follow you, you to <laughs> betting on the over. No, no, don't stop to think about it. Okay, let's just talk about deer. Those shares are poised to snap a three-month losing streak. Jeff, we just want to mention this one. It hit an all-time high back in July. DA Davidson says high rates might limit financing, but the USDA expects a strong corn and soybean season. They also think higher incomes from that will boost sales. Um, you know, the kind of an under-the-radar pick here, but I'm curious what you'd do. For all the farmers here in the Midwest, I have to support deer, but I actually do want to own deer. I think it's a buying opportunity. It is offered at a discount forward P of 11 in the last five years, Kelly. It's on average traded close to 17 or 18 times forward earnings. But if you think about this industrial name, it really has outperformed the S&P 500 yeah. on any metric you look at, one year, three year, five year. So I want to be an owner of deer. All right. I'm still curious long term with NVIDIA, with Microsoft and all the other announcements people have made about, you know, new chip technology, even open AI, you know, could be a threat, but maybe not this quarter. Jeff, it'll be a fun 24 hours. Thank you, as always, for joining us. Jeff Kilberg, KKM Financial. That does it for The Exchange. We get the Fed Minutes next on Power Lunch. Tyler's getting ready, and I'll see you on the other side of this break. You've been listening to The Exchange. Make sure you're subscribed to get each episode every day, same time, same place.
From their innovative practice facility to unmatched views from the fairway, the PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with 5G solutions from T-Mobile for Business. Together, we're using AI-powered analytics to expand coaching tools and bringing fans closer to the pros with 5G-connected cameras. This is game-changing innovation. This is the PGA of America with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. 